While Jason has been away this summer, we've been taking a look at a series that we are calling God's Big Story. God's Big Story. It's sort of the the 30,000-foot view of the entire Bible. It's broken down into four weeks uh, in, in installments that are sort of the benchmark themes of the Bible. So four weeks, and this is the third week in that series, and it's a great week if you're, if you're new or if you haven't been around for the past couple of weeks. Uh, a few weeks back, if you remember, if you were here, Sam Griffin took us through creation. We talked about how a loving God created everything that is around us, including ourselves, everything that is seen and unseen, out of nothing. So out of nothing, God created everything. And not only did he create everything, he created it good. It was perfect. It was not broken. Uh, The turmoil that's going on in our world would not have happened if it had not been for for, for the next installment in this series. Matt Wiley talked about the fall, uh, how people who were created perfect chose sin, chose death, chose wrong, and everything fell apart. Everything came undone that God did. So, so we've had creation, fall, and this week, redemption. We're going to talk about redemption. Uh, and here's where I'm going. If you take notes, uh, this might be a good thing to write down. Uh, just main point of this whole concept is that redemption is arguably the most important theme of the entire Bible. And it should be the most prevalent theme in our lives as well. Redemption is the most critical theme of the Bible, and it should be the most critical theme of our lives and our hearts and our stories. You see, as we talk about God's big story, what we learn is that the storyline of the Bible is also the storyline of our lives. We were created by God. We are fallen. As Christians, we have been redeemed through Christ, And we are marching forward to enter a world where there is no more sin, suffering, death, or hell. So so we were created, we are fallen, we have been redeemed through Christ, and we are going towards eternity. So we get to share a part in God's big story. And through this series, our hope is that you not only learn the big story of the Bible, but you get to figure out how your life fits into that story in a very real and tangible way. Well, before we jump in, we've got to figure out what is this concept we're calling redemption. Uh, Redemption has been defined in a number of different ways, both inside and outside of the Bible, but it sort of has two big meanings uh, that I'd like you to remember. Uh, First, it it has the concept, the the denotation of of release from bondage, release from slavery. Uh, and, And notice that this release happens in two parts. We're redeemed from something, and we're redeemed to something, for something. Uh, So we have been set free from slavery to self, to sin, and we are set free to live the Christian life through Christ as believers in Jesus. Uh, So this release of slavery happens in, in, in two stages. We're set free from something, for something. So that's the first uh, definition. The, the second definition is this concept of, of a repayment of debt in full. Repayment of a debt in full. Your debt is redeemed. It has been paid for. If you've paid for your entire mortgage, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, it has been redeemed 
for those of us who, who pay rent on a monthly basis, we don't even know what that means. Um, your debt has been redeemed. It has been paid for in full. Just as our debt, which is a debt of eternal death, has been bought by Christ on the cross as he took our place for our sins. So see, we owed God an impossible debt and somebody else named Jesus paid it for us. Uh, so as we go through a lot of different texts this morning, have these definitions in the, in the background of your mind that this release from something for something, from slavery for eternal life and for the mission on this earth, and, and also this concept of repaying a debt in full. All right, so we have to jump in this morning, and we're going to actually engage in what I consider to be an almost impossible task in order to fully unpack the concept of redemption uh, our sermon text this morning is Genesis 3 to Revelation 19. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, but in a sense, that's true. In a sense, that's true. We've got to look at the entire Bible to really understand redemption. Uh, of, of course, we can't do that, but we're going to be jumping around to a number of different locations in Scripture, uh, starting off in Genesis chapter 3. So we're going to pick up right where we left off, Genesis 3 chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. So you can go ahead and, and turn there. Genesis chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 14. It says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So again, we, we're picking up right where we left off. A couple weeks ago, we're talking about the fall. Uh, this is the verse immediately after uh, the, the, the woman takes the apple and eats and gives it to her husband. Um, God says, what have you done? And Eve says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is humanity's darkest moment. This isn't just eating some fruit. This isn't just breaking a rule. This is ruining everything that God made good. And we feel that tension and that brokenness in our lives as well. We all would have done the same thing, make no mistake. If it were us, if it was Ryan in the garden... If it was you in the garden, you would have done the same thing. And notice what, what God says to the serpent, to the great deceiver, to God's enemy who he will defeat. He says, cursed are you above all livestock. This is in some ways the, the continuation of a great conflict that is happening between God and Satan. Uh, but in this verse, in these very Verses, and it's really easy to skip through details like this when you're reading your Bible on your own. But, but if you look closer, what we'll see is that this is the first gospel. This is the first little glimpse we have that God has a plan to redeem everyone and everything forever. And it's right here in verse 15. Look back at, at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
there's a lot of pronouns in this, uh, in this verse, so it's helpful to sort of situate ourselves. I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring, demonic forces, and her offspring, he, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your, Satan's, head, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. This is what scholars call the first gospel. And, and granted, looking at this, we would never be able to surmise, if this were the entire Bible, that, that Jesus Christ would come to save all of us from our sins. But, but looking at it from our standpoint, looking back in history, we can see that God is setting up the conditions by which he will send someone to strike Satan's head. And Satan will bruise his heel, right? Jesus died on the cross. Satan thought he won everything, but really uh, he was defeated there in totality. So when we look at redemption, what's important to grasp is that it starts from the very beginning. And I want to dig in here a little bit, a little bit deeper. Remember, this is humanity's darkest moment. It is the most understandable thing in the world, that what we hear from God is judgment and wrath and anger. But instead of judgment and wrath, what does God do? He extends grace. At humanity's darkest moment, when everyone expects that God would judge the people who just broke all of his commandments, instead he extends grace. He sets up a plan of redemption that he's been thinking about for all eternity. And this is true in our lives as well. In what seems like the darkest moments for our lives, when we're going through unimaginable suffering, when we feel the weight of the fall most, most vividly, God does not extend to us judgment. He extends to us grace. This is something that is absolutely crucial for you to remember. At your darkest moment, God does not extend suffering. God does not extend wrath, but as believers in Jesus, as those who have been redeemed by Christ's sacrifice, he gives us grace in those darkest moments. All right, well, we've got to move on here. Now, we're, we're going to take a look at a number of different passages in the Old Testament, which, which are called the covenants. The covenants. Uh, redemption in the Old Testament and God's relationship with his people in the Old Testament was governed by a long series of covenants. And if you've never heard that term, uh, the root word of covenant in the original language comes from this concept of bond or fetter. It's a bond, a link between God and his people. Uh, And and, and one pastor summed it up in sort of two terms that that you may be familiar with. It's, It's contract and consummation. Covenants are contract and consummation, fulfillment of that contract. But, but it's different from earthly contracts because the bulk of our contracts that we sign are, are what we will do if the other party misses their terms, doesn't fulfill their terms of the contract. Uh, but God's covenants are wrapped up in his character, and since he is perfect, the covenants are in themselves, as they relate to God's character, will be fulfilled. Everything God says he will do, he will do. Uh, but our side of the equation, the side of Israel, is, is obviously inherently broken, and we'll see that as we jump through. Uh, so we're going to look at a series of 
covenants in the Old Testament and look at redemption in the Old Testament. Remember, redemption is arguably the most prevalent theme of the Bible and the most important theme, should be the most important theme of our lives as well. So we're going to look at redemption in three areas this morning. First, redemption in the Old Testament, what I'm talking about, the covenants. Second, redemption in the New Testament. And third, what redemption means for our lives today. Uh, so, so we've started right where we left off, and now let's jump forward to Genesis chapter 15 to the Abrahamic covenant. Again, we're going to be flipping around a lot this morning. Genesis chapter 15, just a few chapters later, we'll start in verse 12. Abraham, of course, was the father of all Jews, and we see this inkling of, of God's relationship with his people and how redemption starts off in the Old Testament. Genesis 15, 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So in the Abrahamic covenant, we, we have a preview. We have a preview of not only of, of what will happen in its most immediate fulfillment, which is the exodus of the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. And, and you see that pretty clearly uh, when it talks about uh, the slavery for 400 years that, that Abraham's descendants will suffer. Um, but we also see a preview of God's relationship with his chosen people, which will be developed as we go on. And an interesting way to think of these covenants is that it starts at its most broad. And as we go through the Old Testament, they narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow until they land at the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, so in some ways, uh, the Abrahamic covenant is really not the first covenant. We have God's covenant with, Abraham, uh, with Adam and then with Noah. And Noah is sort of the widest of all of the covenants. Noah is the world. God will no longer flood the world. So now we, we get a little bit smaller and we see that God in the future will pick a people. A people for himself. This is the beginnings of redemption in the Old Testament. That This sort of episodic, periodic redemption whereby God will pick a people for himself and redeem them out of slavery. Uh, so let's keep looking at this and, and let's jump to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, the end of, of chapter 14. Exodus 14. So just as... as the Abrahamic covenant was previewing the exodus of the Jews. In the book of Exodus, we actually get that story. Uh, and, and it's an impossibly long story to tell in the amount of time that I have. But suffice it to say that the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years, essentially forgot who God was, were crying out to him to save them. And of course, God was faithful. God did everything he said he was going to do. He sent a man named Moses. He redeemed the people out of slavery. And, and, and we can read about that a little bit in Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 29. 
It says this, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, through the Red Sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. As you're reading this Exodus narrative, from our standpoint, it should be impossible to separate uh, the Exodus of the Jews from the redemption that we experience in Christ. Uh, so, so the Israelites were redeemed by God from slavery. And, and it's the same story as us. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. God sent a man to set them free named Moses, and they were redeemed out of slavery into the promised land. That's our story as well. We have been enslaved our entire life to sin. We are, before Christ, we were not able not to sin. Sin governed our lives. But God had a plan to send Jesus Christ to stand in our place and redeem us from slavery to sin. And we've been redeemed from slavery to the Christian life, to the promised land in eternity. So as you're reading the Old Testament, remember that, that, that these covenants and this redemption, this episodic, periodic redemption is our story as well. Just as God set free the Israelites from Egyptian bondage, so too God sets us free, redeems us from slavery to self, slavery to sin, slavery to anger, slavery to the opinion from others. It's all slavery. It just takes different forms. So we've seen uh, the Noahic covenant, the world, the Abrahamic covenant, this preview of this people, the Mosaic covenant, which happens both in the Exodus and also in the, in the greater passages, the rest of the, the Pentateuch, really, the Mosaic law. Uh, this is the, the prerequisites, the, the, the statutes that the people have to live by, and, and also the, the whole law that Jesus will fulfill when he comes uh, to live a perfect life. He'll obey every one of the laws of the Mosaic Covenant. So, so you see, we're getting narrower and narrower. We have this preview. We have a land. Now we have prerequisites in the Mosaic Covenant, how the people should live. And now let's move forward a little further to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7, and we'll look at the Davidic Covenant, God's covenant with David. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. I think I got that right. Someone can correct me later. 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 8. God is speaking to David, and, and he says, Thus said the Lord of hosts, I took you, David, from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is God's covenant with David. And we see the covenants getting narrower and narrower. Now they point to a man. Not only does it point to, to David and his descendants, but that God's covenant with David points to a man who is coming in the future from, from David's standpoint. And that man, who we know as Jesus, will establish a kingdom that will exist in perpetuity. It will exist forever and ever. And when you look at these Old Testament prophecies, it's uh, often the case that, that there's sort of a double fulfillment. Um, so not only does this passage describe Jesus, it also describes David's more immediate descendant, Solomon. Uh, and, and, and Jesus picks up in this great lineage, in this genealogy uh, of David and Solomon. So, so we, this passage has its most immediate fulfillment in Solomon to the point that many people who who heard this word from the Lord, would experience that fulfillment in a real way, but it also additionally points forward to Christ. So you see, we have double fulfillment. David points forward to Solomon. David points forward all the way to Christ. So the rest of the Old Testament exists in these repeating strains of fall and redemption. Fall and redemption. Episodic redemption. God's covenant with his people uh, that exist in, in many forms in many different ways. Uh, we have this repeating motif, fall redemption, fall redemption. Uh, the people are enslaved in Egypt. The people are set free from Egypt. The people are enslaved back in Babylon. The people are set free from Babylon back in the promised land. The people fall back into idolatry. They start worshiping other gods other than the God who created them and who loves them. Uh, they were enslaved, and, and then they repent and trust God and hear the words of the prophets. So we have these, these strains, this motif, this paradigm, fall redemption, fall redemption, fall redemption. It runs through the whole Bible. And additionally, it runs through our lives as well. Though we have been redeemed, there are times in our lives when we're not living in a redeemed fashion. So the storyline of the Old Testament is additionally the storyline of of our lives. So we, we've looked at redemption in the Old Testament. We've looked at several of these covenants, the, these bonds that govern God's relationship with his people. And we've seen that, that the covenants get narrower and narrower, start with the world, then go to a preview, then a people, then a place, then a man. So now we're going to transition to look at the New Testament and see this man that the Old Testament has been pointing towards this entire time. So turn to, to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, starting in verse 39. Again, we have an impossible task covering the whole Bible. Um, 
But my goal is that you'll see redemption. When you go home and read your Bibles, you'll see this thread of redemption running through the entire story of the Bible. Luke 23, starting in verse 39. This is at the end of Jesus' life. He's lived a perfect life. Um, He is, is on the cross dying for our sins. He was completely innocent but sentenced to death. It's the most unjust crime in the world. But we are so thankful for it as Christians because without it, uh, Christ's sacrifice wouldn't have happened. Um, Christ died for our sins. In verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So we see that Jesus has lived a perfect life, and this criminal who's on a cross next to Jesus recognizes it. He says, this is unjust. This man shouldn't be dying. We deserve death because we're criminals, but this man did nothing wrong. Keep reading verse 42. And he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. While the one criminal was looking for an immediate rescue, saying, Jesus, get me down off this cross. If you're the son of God, you can get all of us down off these crosses and we can live, we can survive. Uh, But the other criminal recognizes the reality of it, which is that Jesus is not an earthly king at this point in this story. Uh, Jesus comes to set us free from uh, eternal death to eternal life. And, and he says to the, the criminal who gets it, he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That, that, that when, as believers in Jesus Christ, we pass through death, we go to an eternity that is infinitely better than this world. Uh, we go to live with God the way it should be. We go to be with him in paradise. This is Jesus accomplishing redemption on the cross. This is Jesus setting us free, standing in our place so that we could experience life and not death. Let's keep reading in verse 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. In the Old Testament, we had episodic redemption governed by the covenants. This redemption is met firmly at the cross when episodic becomes permanent. When Jesus breathed his last, redemption was accomplished for all men and all women and the entire world, that through believing in Jesus Christ's sacrifice, through believing that he was God, is God, and died for our sins in our place, that we can share an eternal life with him. Jesus accomplished permanent redemption. So redemption in the Old Testament is episodic. Redemption in the New Testament is made permanent. And, and look, we have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We saw that. The the, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to enter the presence of God, you had to be a priest for one. Uh, You had to be male. 
And this could only happen one time a year. And because they were so careful and there were so strict laws surrounding entering this most holy place of the temple, they tied a rope around this priest's ankles so that if he was struck dead, if he did one little thing wrong, if he didn't sacrifice the correct things in the correct order, and he was struck dead in that moment, they could pull his body out before it started to sink up the entire temple. God's presence was governed by such a strict set of commands But with the permanent redemption of Jesus Christ, we now have access freely to God the Father. The curtain has been torn in two. And and make no mistake, this is not our doing, it's God's doing. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. Uh, We can't tear that curtain. Only God can through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But now, there, there are no rules governing the presence of God as believers in Jesus. The only rule is that we believe in Christ, and then we have access with confidence to God the Father through Jesus' redemption. So we see uh, the narrative of Jesus accomplishing redemption in Luke 23. And now let's look at one other passage in Romans chapter 3, and we'll see, uh, you can turn there if you'd like, Romans chapter 3, we'll see a New Testament commentator, we'll see Paul comment on that Redemption. Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we see Paul comment on this redemption, on this setting free from slavery, as Christ is the propitiation, the the sacrifice that unites us back to God the way it was supposed to be. We receive Christ's righteousness through redemption. And at the point of salvation, at the point where as Christians we believed in Jesus Christ, We are redeemed. Stop. Full stop. That's it. Upon belief in Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity in heaven worshiping God in his presence with no barriers. But all of this begs the question because though we are redeemed, we don't always live a redeemed life. Though we have been redeemed by Christ, full stop, Uh, We'll never lose our salvation. We don't always live in a redeemed fashion. So this brings me to my my third point. We've looked at redemption in the Old Testament, redemption in the New Testament. Now let's talk about what redemption means for us. What does redemption mean for us? Uh, The first question to ask necessarily is, are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? 
a believer in Jesus Christ. If you want a taste of this redemption, and maybe this is your first time in church, first time back in church, or maybe you've just been mulling over this whole issue, you've got to ask yourself, are you redeemed? And the only thing that it takes to be redeemed is to believe in Jesus Christ, who I've been talking about this entire sermon. God's Son, God incarnate, who came down to earth to live a perfect life, die in your place for your sins, and was raised on the third day in defeat of sin, death, hell, Satan. All you have to do is believe in Christ. So so what does redemption mean for us? First of all, are we even redeemed in the first place? Second of all, if we are redeemed, are you living redeemed? A very familiar verse to all of us comes in the, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Perhaps you you memorize this verse. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. But oftentimes we stop there. You got to keep reading in verse 10. Memorize that verse too. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is Paul saying that we're saved by works? No. (laughs) Am I saying that we're saved by works? No, not at all. But should our salvation manifest itself in some fruit? Yes. Uh, We're not saved by works, but once we're redeemed, we should live in a redeemed fashion. Uh, Our redemption in Christ does not stop right when we believe. We, we don't believe in Christ, then live the same way we were living. We believe in Christ, we have been redeemed, and we live in a redeemed fashion. Uh, one, one scholar put it this way, uh, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, right? We, we have been redeemed through Christ. 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross in our place for our sins. He defeated death. Uh, we are saved the moment that we are redeemed, the moment that we accept Christ, and we believe in Christ. We are being redeemed by the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification in our hearts, and we will be redeemed in eternity. So you get what I'm saying? Just because we have been redeemed doesn't mean we're living in a redeemed fashion. So, so what are we to do? If you are not living in a redeemed way, how do we fix this problem? I have, I have three suggestions, and, and they're all sort of directions. First, you've got to live redeemed upwards. Just as the curtain was torn in two, now we have access to God the Father, and our relationship with God has been redeemed. We can experience true oneness with God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our relationship upwards with God should be, can be, will be, redeemed. Uh, Second, this redemption should take place inwards. So so we have upwards redemption, then we have inwards redemption as God works on our hearts. Uh, If you're not living in in a redeemed sense, you've got to spend time in the Word. You've got to spend time in prayer. Uh, Get in community. Join an ethos community where, where we talk about how to make our lives look like what the Bible says. And that work happens from the inside out, starting with the heart. So our relationship with God is redeemed upwards. Our relationship with even ourself is redeemed inwards. Uh, And then third, 
our, uh, our redemption exists outwards. As we engage a broken world, as we enter a world being salt and light, we are meant to, to redeem it, to redeem our time, to redeem our, our workplaces, to bring the light of Christ outwards into the world. Just as in, in the Bible, there's this repeating paradigm, fall redemption, fall redemption. The people fall, the people repent. The people are enslaved, the people are set free. This is the story of our lives as well. So if you're living in the fall, even if you have been redeemed, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ who's still living in the fall, now's the time to get up, confess your sins, and live in a redeemed way to demonstrate the redemption that Christ bought on the cross. And, and if you are living in redemption, keep going. Don't fall backwards. Don't look backwards. Keep marching on. And, and together as believers, we'll enter a new city that's even better than the Garden of Eden. And we will experience redemption in its fullest form. But now... We pursue redemption nonetheless, upwards, inwards, and outwards. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus who died for us, suffered in our place for our sins. Thank you that he accomplished what no one else could do. And through belief in him, we can do all things. We are more than conquerors. Because we call on the name of Jesus, we can do all things through the Holy Spirit. And I pray for, for those of us here that we might not only be redeemed, but that we would live redeemed, that our life would make manifest, would make known the redemption that you purchased on the cross. So, Lord, we thank you and we honor you. We bring you glory in this place. And as we take communion, if there's any areas that we need to repent of, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts, that we would walk in the redemption that you purchased on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.